This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. You matter. You do. And you're awesome. Don't find us on this one. Ask your friends. Visit betterhelp.com super and take care of number one. Hey, brother. Guys, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or as I sometimes like to call it, Harry Potter and the Seven Chambers of Secrets. Sizz. I mean, seriously, how many large secret basement rooms does this place have? And remind me again why this one is accessed from the third floor corridor. I mean, does anyone else enter their basement from the third floor of their house? And like, not for nothing, but the first book's hidden basement chamber seems to house like way more secrets and twice as many deadly monsters. By which I mean the troll and Fluffy. <laughs> Also, on that note, what was Hagrid expelled for again? Housing a potentially dangerous and deadly monster in the school? But then, but then, fast forward 49 years and Dumbledore's like, yo, Hagrid, do you have any particularly dangerous and deadly animals we can house in the school? You do? Three heads? That's fantastic. Yes, yes, of course, it'll be super safe and well out of the way. It'll be behind a locked wooden door that any first year could get through. And uh, it, uh, it it doesn't need any exercise at all, like, at all, right? And you're, uh, you're okay cleaning up the poop? Yeah, sometimes I don't think Dumbledore thinks things through all the way, but then other times I think he thinks them through way too far in advance. On the other hand though, do you know what might have had way more thought behind it than we originally thought? The seven obstacles that Harry, Ron, and Hermione have to get through to get to the Philosopher's Stone. In fact, upon closer inspection, I think each of the challenges may have predicted everything that happens in the next six books. Guys, before we dive on in, we need to give a huge thank you to today's sponsor, Candid. There's a specialist for everything, right? Like your car breaks down, you take it to a mechanic. Your pipe leaks, you call the plumber. And if you want your uneven or crooked teeth straightened out, you go to an orthodontist. They are the specialist and they are what sets Candid apart when it comes to straightening your teeth with comfortable, invisible, and removable aligners. Many services will only work with general dentists, but Candid only works with licensed orthodontists. And with Candid, you'll work with the same orthodontist from beginning to end, so you'll never have to wonder how are your teeth progressing. And beginning to end isn't that long. The average candid treatment takes just six months, but you'll start seeing results way before then. And, and it costs thousands less than traditional braces. Candid can help you get the straighter, brighter smile you've always wanted, and you can get $75 off when you start from home today. Or or you can book an appointment at a Candid studio near your location. Simply go to candidco.com SCB and use promo code SCB to get $75 off of your starter kit today. Again, that is candidco.com SCB. Use promo code SCB. One more time, candidco.com SCB. Promo code SCB. Link is in the description down below. Okay, so this theory actually comes from a recording Ben and I did with the Potterless podcast, and the episode itself has not come out yet, but if you want to make sure you don't miss it, I totally recommend you go subscribe or follow uh, Potterless podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. But in the episode, Mike, the host of Potterless, presents Ben and I with different fan-submitted theories, and this one in particular caught our fancy, and we could not wait to dive, much like Harry through the trapdoor into it further. Fun fact, by the way, we actually paid the math budget this month just to find out how far through the trapdoor Harry, Ron, and Hermione fell, and I have to tell you, the answer is bananas. Harry says, it's okay, he called up to the light the size of a postage stamp, which was the open trapdoor. It's a soft landing. You can just jump. A 
postage stamp, you say. Well, assuming the door itself was about two meters across, that means they fell roughly 275 feet down to the devil's snare, which also means they were falling for a solid four to five seconds, which might not sound like a long time until you remember they're falling straight down and accelerating at the speed of, well, gravity, which if you don't know is 9.8 meters per second, which means they hit the devil's snare traveling at least 75, possibly up to 80 miles per hour. Lucky this plant thing's here, really. Lucky indeed, Ron. Like, honestly, I dare say the fall is the most dangerous thing they did the whole night, including fighting Voldemort. Devil snare, Psh, more like devil's super comfy plush armchair that happens to be made out of deadly vines, am I right? <laughs> No, but whatever, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Although it does make me wonder if there's like a shop in Diagon Alley or probably Nocturne Alley really that uses Devil's Snare as the cushioning for their chairs. There should be. The theory today though is whether or not the obstacle course and its seven challenges was also secretly foreshadowing major plot events in each of the seven books. And you might be thinking, wait, seven obstacles? Yes, there are seven. Some of them are kind of forgettable, but here they are in order. First, you've got Fluffy, then the Devil's Snare, then the Winged Keys, then the Chest Room, then the Troll, then the Potions, and then of course, the Mirror. So let's kick things off with Fluffy. Fluffy is of course the obstacle donated by Hagrid and fittingly enough, Hagrid drives forward most of the plot in Philosopher's Stone. Oh, look at that. Was Harry stuck on something? Good thing Hagrid was there to tell him something he wasn't supposed to. I shouldn't have told you that. I shouldn't have told you that. I shouldn't have said that. No, but seriously, he's the one who delivers Harry to the Dursleys and then picks him up. He's the one who tells him he's a wizard. You're a wizard, Harry. He gives Harry his owl. He presents the Norbert problem, which ends up giving up up Fluffy, he escorts Harry into the woods where he first encounters Voldemort, and he gives Harry the flute, which he then uses to lull Fluffy to sleep. Much like Hagrid, however, Fluffy is much more monstrous looking than he actually is, although you still probably don't want to make him too mad. <laughs> On top of that, Fluffy also has three heads, which you could argue, for the sake of this video, represent the Golden Trio who first meet in this book and must use their combined knowledge to overcome the tasks ahead. Honestly, I'm not even sure why we call them the Golden Trio. The three-headed dog is way better. New headcanon. The three of them don't go on to do anything great after Hogwarts. They just opened a pub called the Three-Headed Dog. Have you guys heard of this new pub? They have this drink called the Triple Slobber. It's amazing. Ah! But that brings us to the second task, Devil's Snare, and how it compares to the Chamber of Secrets. Although, honestly, if you ask me, I think the 300-foot drop is actually the second obstacle, but whatever. Maybe the 300-foot drop is actually Dobby dropping the pudding on Mrs. Mason's head. But right out of the gate, just visually, the vines of the Devil's Snare are very snake-like. They're even described that way in the book. She leapt up and struggled toward a damp wall. She had to struggle because the moment she had landed, the plant had started to twist snake-like tendrils around her ankles. But the snake imagery ties in nicely with the basilisk, which is, of course, a giant snake and like the final boss monster of the chamber. Now, true enough though, the Devil's Snare is probably easier to compare to a snake like a constrictor rather than one that uses venom like the basilisk to kill its Spray. But did you know there is a real life plant called Devil's Snare, which is poisonous and potentially fatal if you consume it? On top of that, just the name of the plant, Devil's Snare, could offer a bit of foreshadowing because Tom, who I think we can pretty easily call the devil in this situation, snares Ginny in his 
trap. Because the diary is exactly that. It's a trap. It's intended to lure and prey and then go for the kill. Devil's Snare is also the obstacle submitted by Professor Sprout, who probably has her biggest role in Chamber of Secrets, where she's raising the Mandrakes, which they can turn into the potion, which revives all the people who are victims of the Basilisk. Moving on though, next up are the Winged Keys and the Prisoner of Azkaban. This one on the surface is a little less obvious, but I assure you it's all still there. I mean, for one, it's the only obstacle that isn't potentially fatal. I mean, assuming you don't fall off the broom, but hey, if you survive the first fall onto the Devil's Snare, I think you're probably okay here. Correspondingly though, Prisoner is also the only book in which Voldemort himself does not make an appearance or at least launch an attack at the end of the book. The obstacle also largely has to do with flying and Prisoner is a big broom year for Harry where he loses his Nimbus and gets the Firebolt. They're also hunting for keys, which, you know, traditionally are what are used to keep prisoners locked in cells. And the key in question is silver, the same color as the Patronus, which Harry learns to cast in year three. Which, not for nothing, is a charm, and this is Flitwick's obstacle, so it all fits. The next room is McGonagall's chess set and we'll be comparing it to Goblet of Fire and I have to say, I thought this one was pretty straightforward. I mean, quite simply, chess is a competition and the primary narrative in Goblet of Fire is about the Triwizard Tournament, a wizarding competition. They even throw in the Quidditch World Cup just for good measure. Chess is also a battle between black and white and Goblet is where the battle between both sides actually really begins. I mean, the last chapter is actually called the beginning. Also in chess, white always goes first, and despite Voldemort's attempt to cheat and have black goes first, Harry circumvents him. He escapes and tells the entire wizarding world right away that Voldemort is back, making sure that in fact, white goes first. Jeez, Voldemort, can't even remember the rules of chess. Come on, man. <laughs> Additionally, you could also view Ron's sacrifice in the game as foreshadowing for Cedric's death. Although to be fair, Ron is significantly less permanently dead and also had to deal with just like way less Valda foot on his face. Also, also, actually, actually, this is McGonagall's room, and although it is more the end result of a potion, Barty Crouch Jr. does spend like 99% of the book transfigured into Mad-Eye Moody. And on top of that, a lot of the plot is driven forward by Rita Skeeter, thanks to her abilities as an Animagus, another magical ability that falls under the transfiguration umbrella. Moving right along though, the next room is the oft-forgotten troll room, which Harry and Hermione are able to just skip right over because Quirrell has already taken out the troll. Which, let's be real, this was sort of a ridiculous choice for him. I mean, most of the staff knows what he chose for his challenge, and then he's all like, Troll in the dungeon! Stop it, Quirrell. How obvious can you be? Anyway, though, the comparison between the troll room and Order of the Phoenix is possibly the most straightforward out of all of them. Umbridge is a troll. Need I say more? Okay. I will. Not only could slash does the troll represent Umbridge, it could also foreshadow Grop, Hagrid's half-brother, appearing in the forest. Fifth year is also OWL year, and troll is the worst possible grade you can get on one of your exams. And this is Quirrell's room, the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher who ends up being the bad guy. And guess what? In order, the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher ends up being the bad guy. No way! I mean, I guess to be fair, that's true like five out of six times anyway, and in the one case where it wasn't, loop and still turned into a werewolf. I guess Snape technically wasn't a bad guy. I don't know. He's not a great guy. Speaking of Snape though, the next room is the potions room, which was of course set up by Snape, AKA the Half-Blood Prince. And we'll be comparing it to uh, 
the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, this one fits like a glove. Not only is this the Half-Blood Prince's obstacle, but the Half-Blood Prince book itself is full of potions and poisons. Harry becomes a whiz in Slughorn's class, thanks secretly to Snape. Harry wins Felix Felicis, which he uses to tremendous effect. Malfoy is using Polyjuice Potion, basically the entire book, to have Crab and Goyle pose as little girls for him. Ron drinks Love Potion, and then almost immediately after, poison. And of course, there is the almost deadly drink of despair, one of Voldemort's own design that Dumbledore has to drink in the cave to claim the Horcrux. Ironically, Harry has to drink a potion to walk through fire in book one, whilst in book six, Dumbledore has to drink a potion and then summon fire to defend them. Harry and Dumbledore also spend most of the book trying to puzzle out what Voldemort's Horcruxes might be, which is very similar to how Snape's obstacle is a massive logic puzzle rather than like a magic puzzle. But that just leaves us with the Mirror of Erised and the Deathly Hallows. To me, this is possibly the most poetic one, and I think we can sum it up nicely with a couple of Dumbledore quotes. The first is in regards to how the mirror works. You see, only one who wanted to find the stone, find it, but not use it, would be able to get it. Otherwise, they just see themselves making gold or drinking elixir of life. And the second one comes after Harry has died and is talking to Dumbledore in King's Cross. Harry is asking if he's dead and Dumbledore responds, Ah, said Dumbledore, smiling still more broadly. That is the question, isn't it? On the whole, dear boy, I think not. But Harry raised his hand instinctively toward the lightning scar. It did not seem to be there. But I should have died. I didn't defend myself. I meant to let him kill me. And that, said Dumbledore, will I think have made all the difference. It's the same thing! Only someone who wants the stone but not to use it can get the thing that will make you immortal. Harry tries his best to die and is spared because he meant to. Only by meaning to die does Harry avoid death. Only by not wanting immortality is Harry allowed access to it. And it goes deeper because not only does the stone offer you immortality, but it can also turn metals into gold. Which means if it's not immortality you're after with the stone, it's almost certainly greed. And again, this is a massive difference between Harry and Voldemort that comes under close examination in Deathly Hallows. Harry learns of the very powerful Deathly Hallows, but manages to resist the temptation, chooses Horcruxes over Hallows. Voldemort, on the other hand, of course, goes straight for the gold in the form of the Elder Wand, which then literally backfires on him. There's also the fact that the mirror is a mirror and that Harry and Voldemort are somewhat inverse reflections of one another, each bearing a small part of the other inside themselves, almost as if they're each a man with two faces, if you will. Plus, the final room also represents the culmination of Dumbledore's plans, as it is strongly suggested in Philosopher's Stone that Dumbledore meant for Harry to take on the obstacle course and go after the stone, which if you ask me is really the only reason any of these are beatable to begin with. I mean, how, this wasn't a very good obstacle course, was it? No one can beat the mirror anyway. What's the point of the rest of them? You could just put the mirror in the in the Great Hall and just be like, tell people what it is. And there's st no, still no one's gonna get it. But the obstacles are there because Dumbledore intends for Harry to go through them the same way that he eventually intends Harry to face down Voldemort in Deathly Hallows. But there you go, guys. Each room in the very first book foreshadowing major plot events in each of the subsequent books. Was this something that was planned from the beginning? Mm, honestly, I kind of doubt it. But does it fit really well anyway? 
Yeah, it totally does. But Ben, my question for you and everyone else is, what do you think? Do the rooms in Philosopher's Stone truly represent the next six books in the series? And are there any comparisons that we missed? Let me know in the towel section down below. But guys, as always, thanks for watching today's video. Don't forget to leave a like on it if you haven't already and subscribe so you don't miss any future Harry Potter action from us. If you want to see all of Dumbledore's big plan, you can check out this playlist right here. But otherwise, until next time, Ben, I will see you in another life, brother.